Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that ye may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son uh, with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon, uh, as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you all, and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, indeed he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon my sorrow." I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Amen. Amen. Five different times in the Bible, in the New Testament, it says, greet one another. Now, it does say with a holy kiss. But I think we can just greet one another. And I want to ask you to stand and find someone you do not know, get their name, find out where they were born. Let's greet one another, as the Bible says. Thank you so much. I think I've lost control. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. You know what is so interesting about this? The extroverts are still up talking, and the introverts sit down. At the, I don't like to do this, but extroverts love this. But we're just trying to do what the Bible says. We're to greet one another five different times it tells us that. Last week, I was so moved 
at the way that we wrote letters to missionaries and took up an offering, going to provide gifts to missionary children. I have never been in a church with the missionary heart this church has. Uh, and I was, I just, as a, as a former missionary, I was, I was so moved. And I just want to take a moment and I want to say thank you for the way that you have been giving faithfully. This last year has been crazy in so many ways. So it's such a difficult year. But so many of you have been faithful in giving. And part of what you give extends the gospel to the ends of the earth as well as right here in, in this area. So may God bless you. By the way, there are many ways that we can give here. We can give in person, use the phone, uh, your mobile website. You can text. Uh, you can send a mail. About two years ago, Ruthie and I began giving. We've, we've been tithing since we were married. It was one of the first things we did. Sometimes it's been very difficult. But we began, about two years ago, we began giving online automatically, and we set it up where it's automatically deducted from um, what, whatever we have. And some people will say, well, that's not worship. And for me, it's worship because the very first thing that came out on the 1st and 15th of my paycheck went to the Lord. And I knew that. So if you've never tried giving online, I know many of you do, I encourage you to do that. But I just want to say thank you for being faithful in your giving. When I ask those who are going to receive our offering to come forward, and let me just lead us in a word of prayer. Lord, thank you that you came not to get something from us, but to give something to us. And so we give to you out of faith, trusting you for the future. We get out of hearts of gratitude and thanksgiving for how you provided for us. And Lord, we give with a heart that you would use these funds through the ministry of Fellowship Bible Church in Longview to go to the ends of the earth, to reach people with the good news of the gospel, to minister to people right here in this area. So use it, Lord, to the max, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. And while these baskets are coming around, you might want to go ahead and find Philippians chapter 2 in your Bible. And by the way, I, had, I said several weeks ago, I hope that you'll invite someone to lunch. This is a good day to invite someone to lunch because it's the picnic. And they can hope you'll all come. Really would love to have the time to fellowship with all of you this afternoon. Um, at the picnic. Have you ever heard anyone say he's quit preaching and gone to meddling? That's how I feel about the passage that we're going to read this morning. Um, Oh, we're finishing up here. Let me just read this. This is one of the most convicting beginnings of a passage that I know in all of the Bible. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, arguing. Let's stand for closing prayer. I mean, <laughs> my dad used to tell me and my brother and my sister, he would put it like this stop your belly aching. Stop your belly aching. The parts of the Bible that trouble me are not the parts that are unclear, and I, I don't understand them completely. 
The parts of the Bible that trouble me most are the parts that are crystal clear. And they're very difficult to live, like this one. And it, if, he had just don't, had not, if he had not said, do all things without grumbling, I would have been okay with it. But he says, do all things without grumbling. So at home, no grumbling. At work, no grumbling. When your plane is canceled, no grumbling. When the waiter brings your meal and he doesn't get it right, no grumbling. Um, on traffic on Monday morning, <laughs> no grumbling. He just says, do all things without grumbling. Um, I think he's quit preaching and gone to meddling here. And it raises the question in my mind, why does he say that? Why is it so important that we Christians, our children of God, are to live lives more filled with gratitude than grumbling, and he tells us. So I want to read those first few verses once again, beginning with verse 14. He says, Do all things without grumbling or questioning, so that you may be blameless, innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I'm glad and I rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul's writing like a father, writing to a, uh, a son who's in, a daughter in college or a, a camp, and he's kind of pouring out his heart, and he says something like this, you know how much I love you and how much I want the best for you. And the letter that the father writes, he just pours out his desire of the way that they live, that they not forget who they are, and that they make him proud, make me a proud dad of you. And he says essentially this, we live in a crazy world. It's broken, it's dark, it is twisted. And he says, I know God's at work in your life. God chose you for a specific purpose. So Paul says, make me proud shine like lights in the world. Or one translation says, shine like stars in the sky. Paul is saying, just like the Magi were led to Bethlehem because of a star, I want your light and your life, your words to so shine that people are led to Christ because they see the way that you live, hear the way that you speak. Now, what I want to do is I want to give four observations. I said, observations about this, this text that he, he gives. And here's the first one. There's a cosmic battle in this world between the powers of darkness and the power of light. There is a cosmic battle in this world between the powers of darkness and the power of light. And we sense it. Someone said the first century, the 21st century is more like the first century than any other century. It's not easy to be a Christian. It's not easy to walk with the Lord. And he is writing to people who are outmatched, outnumbered. They no longer have a playing field advantage. He is writing to people who are not understood. In fact, they are misunderstood. And he says, you live among people who are twisted. They're devious. And you live in a culture that is broken and it's crooked. And I want you to live without grumbling or 
complaining. I want you to live a life that's basically blameless, which doesn't mean you're perfect. It just simply means no one can point a finger at you and say, you wronged me and you'd never try to make it right. And it's like they're outmatched. It's like we're called as Christians to play by a certain set of rules, and the culture in the world is called to play by a different set of rules. And the power of darkness is just as strong today, isn't it? How do you think Afghan Christians are doing right now? Power of darkness. How do you explain that hundreds of thousands of people in the Sudan are starving and their leaders live in luxury and splendor? Power of darkness. How do you explain that a member of the parliament in England was stabbed in a church this week? Power of darkness. And you want to really see the power of darkness? Black Friday. I'm serious. You, you think about it. People are going to shove other people who are made in the image of God and who will live forever in order to get an iPhone that will be outdated in a year. Power of darkness. It's a twisted culture that we live in. It's a twisted world. And the problem is the darkness is not just out there. The darkness is in here. And we find ourselves dealing with things that we don't want to deal with, but we find ourselves with desires and with thoughts that are just dark. Dallas Willard put it this way, it doesn't take very much pressure for the average person to tell a white lie, to speak a harsh word, to think arrogant, judging thoughts. It doesn't take all that much pressure for someone to envy someone else's stuff or scheme to try to obtain it either. So if we're going to shine like stars in the sky, like lights in the world, We've got to do something about the darkness in our own lives first. So here's the second observation. Darkness will overwhelm my life unless Jesus dispels the darkness. The darkness that is not dispelled just gets darker and darker unless Jesus dispels it. And against all the darkness, here comes Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life. Jesus says, I have the power to dispel darkness. My light-giving ability can eradicate darkness. So let's just do a little darkness check in our lives right now. Is the power of sin as strong in, in you as it has always been? Is your temper as hard to control now as it always has been? Does greed have the same grip on you that it always has had? Or what about pride? Or what about self-centeredness? Does it bother you? Listen to what 1 John 1, 6 say, says. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. In other words, it is possible to be a to say that I'm a Christian, to claim to have fellowship with God, but my attitudes and my behavior and my relationships speak contrary to what I'm claiming. So let me just be clear. If, there is, if the darkness in your life has remained constant, maybe it is even a little darker, no matter what we claim, no matter how often we come to church, no matter that when we were a little boy or girl, we walked down an aisle and shook a preacher's hand and, and prayed a prayer, and yet we continue to live in darkness and walk in darkness. The light of Christ is not working in our life. Christ's light is too powerful 
for it to be in a person's life, for them to continue a life, a practice of darkness. Here's the good news. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, if we acknowledge the power of darkness within me, and I don't have control over it, we acknowledge our sins, God is faithful and just, and he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In other words, his life and his light can break the power that darkness has in us, but we've got to come to him for that. So I wonder if right now, I just wonder if the Spirit of God is prompting anyone to say, Jesus Christ, light of the world, would you come dispel the darkness that is in me that I know that is there? Would you shine your light bright within me? There's a lot about light and darkness in the Bible. Listen to this from Ephesians 5, 8. You were once darkness. Now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness and righteousness and truth. Find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Light is a major theme in Scripture. There is so much in the Bible about light. The first recorded words of God in the Bible were what? Let there be, not let there be matter, let there be light. Why? Because there's nothing that is so like the character of God like light. God is light. and In Him there is no darkness at all, the Scripture says. Jesus said... Not only that he was the light of the world, he said, we are light. We're like the moon. Walk out on one of these autumn nights, you look up in a full moon, and it's just so bright, and you can almost read under the light of the the moon. The moon has no light of its own. We all know that. It's reflected light. And the light that we Christians have, the light that we show to others, is not our own. It's reflected light. But Jesus says, you once were darkness, you're now light in the Lord. Jesus once said, no one, no one lights a light and puts it under a bucket. You put it on a stand where it can be seen. He said, you're like a city that's set on the hill so everybody can see the light from the city. The prologue of John's gospel says this, Jesus is the true light, lights every man who comes in the world in him is light and light. his light was the life of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness does not overcome it got up this morning very early because of a meeting that we had, Walked, and it was dark in the house and flipped on the kitchen light, and the darkness was gone. Darkness cannot overcome light. Light always penetrates, dispels the darkness. I could go on and on and on with these verses. Let me give you one more, maybe two. <laughs> Second Corinthians 4, explaining the gospel, it says, Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light 
shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. When the gospel enters our life and we put our faith in Christ, light comes in. First Peter says, you are called out of darkness into light. Now, why do I belabor all of this? Because we live in a culture where the color of the day is gray. We live in a culture where people no longer believe there is such a thing as good and evil, truth and wrong, light and darkness. We live in a culture that says, my truth, I have my truth, you have your truth, your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth. And the Bible stands in opposition to that. The Bible clearly says there is no category. We are either in Christ or we're not in Christ. We're either saved or we're lost. It's heaven or it's hell. There are no third categories. But we live in a culture that's very comfortable with gray. And our culture decides what is moral and churches follow. Because the world says something acceptable, churches follow. And we just need to understand we don't take our cues from the world. We don't take our cues from the culture, but from what the Bible says, and that's non-negotiable. We're different because light and darkness are so different. We are different. And by the way that we live and the words that we say, he says we're to be a light that shines in the world. People ought to be able to look at the way we live in our homes and the way we relate to, we relate to each other, husbands and wives, parents and kids, you ought to be able to look and say, well, that's different. You guys are on the wrong side of history. <laughs> You're, it's very uncomfortable. People ought to see the way we rear our children and say, well, that's just not right. You're on the wrong side of history. We have to live like God declares us to live. We have to believe what God says about who we are, our identity. And I mention that because this is the day of identity politics, where you define who you are by your race or your ethnicity or your gender or your sexuality. It's not that those things are not important, but they don't define who we are as Christians. I am not a 69-year-old Anglo-American male. Now, I am that, but fundamentally, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. That is my most basic identity. That is what God says and to speak like that not only goes against our culture, it exposes darkness, lights up. So, first point, we're in a, cult, we're in a war, a battle between, it's a battle between, a conflict between light and darkness. And only Jesus can dispel the darkness within us. I'll give you a third observation. In the darkness of this world, there is hope when Christ's followers begin to shine brightly. There's really hope. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works glorify your Father in heaven. And I take that to mean that Jesus is saying the people around us in our neighborhoods ought to be able to look at us and say, I'm so glad that family lives in our neighborhood. We would be a poor neighborhood without that family. Thank God for that family. People ought to be able to say, thank God there's a fellowship Bible church in Longview. We thank God for, we'd be a poor community without that church. Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works, glorify your Father in heaven. 
And some of us are kind of frustrated because we don't feel like we're making much of a difference. And Paul would say, then utilize this shining strategy. Let your light shine brightly that people will say, that's, not, that's love of a different kind. That's an unusual kind of love. I've been meeting with a number of people over the last few weeks, and uh, one of the questions that I ask is, tell me your faith story. Tell me how you came to know Jesus. And inevitably, someone will say, well, there's this woman at work, and she was always just so joyful. And she bailed me out of a bind one time. And she's so helpful. And she's a, everybody is kind of just attracted to her. And they begin to tell how they came to Christ because of the influence of that woman. Or someone will say, well, um, uh, my parents took me to church from the time I was a small child. They cared enough about me and what was going on in my spiritual life. They would sit and listen to me. Inevitably, they would point out someone who was like a shining light in their life. And it just raises the question, who is that for you? If you're a Christian, who was that star like the Magi followed? Who was that for you that was shining and drew you to the Lord? I'll give you a fourth observation. We're in a battle between light and darkness, power of light, power of darkness. Number two, the darkness will overwhelm us if Jesus does not dispel it. Number three, in the darkness of this world, there is hope when Christians shine. And here's the fourth observation. The light shines the brightest when it's the darkest and we are high wattage. A few years ago, my wife and, uh, my wife and I took our kids through Carlsbad Caverns. And uh, she, we, in fact, there were three or four of us in wheelchairs, which was nuts to try to do. But we went through Carlsbad Caverns. And at one point, they turned the lights out. I could not see my hand in front of my face. It was so dark. And then way over at the side, the guide turned on a little pin light. And every eye went there. All of that darkness made his little light shine brighter. And I mention that because more than once I've had people say, I wish I could work for a Christian organization. The place where I work it is so godless, it is so full of people who are profane, and I'm so sick of it. And I hear Paul saying this, no, no, no. Don't run from that. Don't isolate yourself. You stay right where you are because God placed you there to shine a light in a dark place. Don't run toward something that's more, you, you be the light where you are and shine. And he says this, if you're a Christ follower, if you claim to be a follower of Christ, stop complaining about a godless country and a godless culture and a godless work environment. Instead, start praying, Lord, in the middle of all of this darkness, burn brightly, shine brightly through me. So when it's darkest, our light shines brightest, and it shines brightest when we are high wattage. And the reason some of us are not making much of an impact where we live is our light's pretty dim. And so what he does is he helps us. He tells us three ways to shine right here in the text. He says a high-wattage Christian means we are known more, for, known more for gratitude than for grumbling. So here it comes. We live in a culture of grumbling. Everything in our culture is designed to create discontent. 
within us. And Paul comes against that and says, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. And some translations put instead of grumbling, murmuring, which is under your breath. Murmur, murmur, murmur. When you think of grumbling and murmuring, what group of people does your mind go to? The Israelites. They were murmuring when they were slaves in Egypt. They were murmuring when they got set free. They were murmuring, man, I'm, I'm so tired of this man, I murmur, murmur, murmur. I'm so tired of all this walking, murmur, murmur, murmur. So tired of Moses, murmur, murmur, murmur. Some, someone said that Moses spent half of his time trying to talk God out of killing them, and God spent half of his time trying to talk Moses out of killing them. Murmur, murmur, murmur. When they got into the promised land, murmur, 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 com- complaining. They kept murmuring until what? They died, which is one way to stop complaining. Might be good to find another way. You ever, do you ever murmur? Anyone here ever murmur? You know, under your breath, ever murmur? Your boss comes up. Group of employees are here. Boss comes up. Everything okay? Okay. Murmur, murmur. You can take this job and assign it to somebody else. <laughs> you kids, parents, give kids a, a chore. Would you help us around the house? I want you to do this. Sure, Dad. Walk down the hall. Murmur, 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 murmur. Some churches are breeding grounds for murmuring, for grumbling, especially in the music. It's too loud. I can't hear it. They're not singing the songs I like. They're singing old songs. They're singing only those new songs. Or the sermon's too long. Nobody gripes about short sermons, but the sermons are too long. Temperature's too hot. It's too cold. Someone's sitting in my chair. <laughs> Breeding grounds from someone asked a lady, said, uh, do you wake up grumpy in the morning? She said, no, I just let him sleep. Just. <laughs> and what we just, we begin to compare ourselves to others and we dispute with God. We argue with God rather than worshiping him, rather than saying, what are you trying to teach me? What do you want me to learn? What do I need to repent of in this moment? So the question, anybody here complain a lot? Anybody here grumble? If you don't think you grumble and murmur, ask someone who lives with you. And then when they tell you the truth, don't, mum, don't grumble, don't grumble at, that, at that moment. Yeah. If they snicker, it's an indication. Just, just, you're, you're grumbling. True story, true story. There's a church in West Virginia where the deacons and the pastor got into an argument about passing the offering plate. True story. And the deacons had their supporters, and the pastor had their supporters, and after the church service, it went on, and they went out in the parking lot and went at it with each other to the glory of God. And it, it broke out into a fist fight. The pastor and his boys, the deacons and their supporters, someone called 911. The police came, booked them all, and they're arraigned before a judge who was Jewish. True story. And that judge says, as I understand it, you people say you are the light of the world. From now on, there will be an armed guard at the back of the church to keep you off of each other. 
Now, just suppose someone at that time said, hey, judge, can I share with you about the wonderful news of Jesus? No, thanks. No, thanks. If anyone had a right to complain, it was the apostle Paul who was sitting in prison, not knowing whether he's going to live or he's going to die. And what he says is this. He says, I consider my hardship right now as a drink offering to pour on the sacrifice of your faith and your acts of love. A drink offering was not the sacrifice in itself. When a sacrifice was made in the Old Testament, it's on the altar and the fire is burning up the sacrifice. They would pour wine or some, some, something on top of it, some liquid on top of it, which would create smoke. And the fragrant incense would rise to God. And Paul was saying this, when I look at the way you're serving and I look at the way you're loving each other and loving your community and speaking the word of Christ and being a light that's shining, he says, my suffering is like a drink offering I pour on top of it. Just adds to the worship. He says, it makes me feel like I've not served in vain. And then he gives two examples to help us to know what it looks like to shine. And every parent here knows the value of examples. The first example is Timothy. He says, I hope in the Lord, verse 19, to send Timothy to you soon so that, you, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. I have no one like him. What a sad statement. He's writing from Rome. There's a potential group of candidates that he can send back to Philippi so that people there will know how he's doing. And he looks around and says, I've got no one like Timothy who is genuinely concerned for your welfare. They all seek their own interest not those of Jesus Christ. And you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I can see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Churches are built on people like Timothy. And shining means he cared for the needs of people more than he cared for his own interest. He was more like the Lord Jesus who denied, refused to claim what was his by right, the glory, humbled himself and came serving not his own interests, but the interests of others. Churches are built on people like this. And I wonder if Paul would find some Timothys here. Need somebody to work with kids? Here I am. Here I am. Need somebody to work, to drive a truck or drive a, a bus? Here, here I am. Need somebody here to open the door? I, I, I am here. Timothy was a fat man, F-A-T, faithful, available, teachable. It was Timothy. And churches are built on people like this. And he says, he's been like a son to me. Which leads me to say to those of us who are older, we need to be looking around and finding those younger Christians and those younger leaders who can be like a son to us. Not that we tell them what to do and control their lives but that we pour into them some of the wisdom and knowledge that we've learned the hard way by experience. That we become a kind of a mentor to a younger man or a younger woman. Because there are plenty of younger adults and younger teenagers, older teenagers in this room, who just love to have the influence, the ear, the ear, the heart of an older adult. And if you have a mentor, you are so blessed. You give thanks to God for that. And you go, well, I didn't have any Paul in my life. I didn't have any mentor. Well, I don't know if Paul had all of that either. 
But what you can say is, Lord, in the days that I have left before I meet you, grant me the opportunity to give an ear and a heart to a younger Christian and be a blessing to them. So to shine like a light means I genuinely care for the needs of other people like Timothy. And he mentions the second man, Epaphroditus. Listen to verse 25. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on me and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I'm the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice and sing him again and that I may be less anxious So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. This is the only time in the Bible this man's mentioned and no one is complimented more than this man Epaphroditus. Look at what Paul says about him. He made an 800 mile trip from Philippi to Rome to bring a gift, an offering that the church had collected for Paul because he's under house arrest. He has to provide for his own needs. Maybe he was hungry and they heard about it and they send this man 800 miles with a gift and he decides to stay with Paul and serve him, minister to him, encourage him, be a a, a friend to him there in prison. And here's what Paul says about this man. He's my brother. There's a spiritual bond that we've shared. He's a fellow worker. This dude is a worker. He's a fellow soldier. And that term is used sparingly in the New Testament of a small number of Christians who are so focused, so willing to lose their life for Christ. And he says, he risked his life, just like soldiers do, going into battle knowing that I may not survive. It might cost my life. He nearly died, Paul says. So he says, honor men like this. Honor them. Christian soldiers, Christian servants, people willing to take risks, people who endure hardship. Hold them up in high regard. Look up to them because you don't get much honor in the world for being like this man. And I'm afraid sometimes we honor the wrong people. We don't honor the people in the background. We don't honor the people who don't want to be seen, who just want to serve and who live to serve and sometimes serve at the risk of their own life and their own health. This man apparently became sick nearly died. Paul was praying for him. He says, God showed mercy on me. He let him recover. Now I'm sending him back to you. Don't think that he failed. Honor him. And we just need to look around the congregation and find those servants, those people who are just pouring their life out, serving the Lord, especially in these last few years. We need to find a way to honor them and to say thank you to them. In a fallen crooked, twisted world. There's not a lot of people who are going to commend you for following Jesus and trying to be like Jesus. But we ought to find those folks and we just ought to say, I'm proud of you. I'm so grateful for you. Fred Craddock is a Methodist preacher, teacher of preachers. He said this one time, we think giving our all to the Lord is like taking a $1,000 bill laying it on the table. Here's my life, Lord. I'm giving it all. But the reality for most of us is that he sends us to the bank and has us cash in the $1,000 for quarters. 
We go through life putting out 25 cents here, 50 cents here. Listen to a neighbor's kid's troubles instead of saying, get lost. Go to a committee meeting. Give a cup of water to a shaky old man in a nursing home. Usually giving our life to Christ isn't glorious. It's done in all those little acts of love, 25 cents at a time. It would be easy to go out in a flash of glory. It's harder to live the Christian life little by little over the long haul. And maybe in light of all that Paul has said, let me have the worship team come on up. Maybe it's just a good time for us to bow and say, Jesus Christ, I've still got darkness in my life. Would you shine your light in me? Would you begin little by little to eradicate that remaining sin in me? And Lord, I want to shine. I want to care for the needs of people. I want to pour myself out. And I want to be grateful rather than grumbling. I'm going to ask you, if you can, that you make a little altar of your chair. And if you can kneel down, that you just kneel down at your chair. And if you cannot kneel, just bow low in your seat in humility before the Lord. Just take a moment of humility before the Lord. Either kneeling or bowing low. And maybe you'd like to just pray and say, Lord, there's still so much darkness in me and I don't want it there. Would you go to work in me by your spirit because of the cross and the resurrection? Would you dispel the darkness? Would you make me a light in my home, my neighborhood, at school, work? while I'm traveling. I pray that your love would shine through me. Lord, I pray that for every one of us, we'd be like that star that guided the Magi to Bethlehem and that people would be able to navigate their way to you in part as a result of our life and our words. Help us in little ways to serve. We'd all love just to go out in a blaze of glory. Lord, help us in little ways to serve. Whether we pray, or we give, or are active in the ministry, shine through us, Lord. We pray in Christ's name. And everyone agrees, says, amen. Let's stand to our feet and let's sing. My hope is built. My hope is built. 